You're listening to a podcast from Victory Alabang. We play a pivotal role in reaching the next generation. Find out in this message by Pastor Edre Kanda. We uh, talk about partnership as at Every Nation Campus. Uh, talking about partnership, I, uh, we're, we're partners with a lot of you guys. And we want to bring you in into the world of the young. Okay lang po ba yun? We're gonna be, I'm going to be showing you uh, a certain philosophy or a certain mindset that a lot of young people have or going through so that we will be able to understand more about them. Okay? So I'm going to explain it with this picture. This is actually from a study called Video Gamers Will Change the World. It's an actual scientific study. It's not to justify anything. This is just really to explain the psyche, if you may, of a person, of a young person's mind towards video games. And that's why, you know, we would ask, why is this person addicted to video games? Why are you spending so much time, six hours, ten hours just doing that? Um, you could be productive. Here's the reason why. This picture will explain it. If you look at the picture, the eyebrows, the two eyebrows are raised, it shows surprise and fear. Surprise and fear at the same time. The tension in the mouth shows the same thing. There is uh, excitement in the, in, the, in the tension that the mouth is showing. So basically, that's excitement, that's fear, and that's surprise. All together in one, in one face. This face only appears in the part of the game where the gamer is about to do something so impossible, but the rewards are so great that they would risk everything. Video gamers love to risk so many things. That's why they're, they're saying if young people can use that sense of energy towards the real world, they will change the world. This is actually what they call an epic win face. Okay? Dito po galing yun. The reason for that is this. Because young people are looking for epic moments in their lives that they can only find in video games. Unfortunately, the real world only offers they wake up, go to school, they go home, they sleep, they wake up, they eat breakfast, they go to school, they go home, forget dinner, because they have to study, and then they sleep. The next day, they wake up, and it's a life, lifestyle of routinary things. So a lot of students would think, ah, oh, so boring. I'm not accomplishing anything, in, even, even though that's not true. But to them, this is exciting. This is something epic for me. This is, you know, I'm able to do something big and something so impossible, but can get me so many rewards, as virtual as it may look like. Here's the thing. Yung epicness po, the, the need for young people to look for epic things to do, is actually a God-given design. I'm going to explain that in a little bit. Example, why are we so attracted with epic movies? Movies that are big scale. You know, pag may, the, the, the battle of the good versus evil, and then you know, showing it in a, in a large scale like a movie, uh, like uh, The Lord of the Rings, or maybe this movie that I'm waiting for this uh, December. <laughs> You know, we are so attracted with epic sci-fi, epic fantasy, or even the most epic love story ever told online. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I have to admit, I've watched a couple, maybe about 20 episodes of... <laughs> okay. <laughs> but you see, because people have an innate desire to do something epic, meaning to do something beyond themselves, or to do something that's seemingly impossible, that the real world cannot offer. That is a God-given design, especially for young people. In fact, in the, in the Bible, 
every time God would do a major shift in history, would do something epic in history, God would cause someone to be born first. Example, when God wanted to bring Israel, to rescue Israel out of famine that will last for seven years, that will kill so many thousands of people, God caused the birth of Joseph. And he had to go through what he went through, came to Egypt, take, took out his, the, the nation of Israel out of, of their land, and they were rescued from the famine. When God wanted to rescue Israel out of their slavery in Egypt, <clears throat> he caused the birth of Moses. And we all know the story of the Red Sea parting and all that. It all started with the birth of a person. In fact, when God wanted to rescue people, his children, from the pits and the slavery of sin, of death, and of shame, and wanted to give them salvation, he caused the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ. And started from there, that he started living the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died, paid for our sins. Rose up again after three days. Epic. Story started with the birth of someone. The Bible is so full of stories like that, that he would cause the next generation to do something so big. That's why it, he gave it to each and every one of us here. Unfortunately, the, the world offers alternatives, but they're all temporary. That's what we're going to be talking about today as we talk about campus ministry. Why we as a ministry love to do this. Why I would wake up every morning doing campus ministry, reaching out to the next generation. We're going to be looking at that. Can we all stand up? We're going to be uh, going back to the book of Acts. We're going to be reading five verses from chapter 16. It says here, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. Now, I, wanna, I want you guys to remember that name. Um, we're going to be highlighting this guy uh, with this preaching. Named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brother, brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in, in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. Verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for your message. Open up our hearts, God, and Lord, make us see how you see young people, God. We thank you and honor in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right. This is what's happening, okay? In this particular book, Paul is about to go full on with his missions. He was, he was about to go to different cities to do the work that God has called him to do. But the first thing he did was to look for someone and say, who am I going to disciple? And immediately, he saw Timothy. Timothy, during this time, Paul was, 16, was about 16 to 18 years old, according to scholars. 16 to 18 years old. In fact, in the Bible, he's actually the first ever mentioned church kid. Meaning, after the church, the church of Jesus Christ established, he was the first guy mentioned who was a church kid. His mom, Eunice, was saved in the, in, in the church. His grandma... Uh, also was, was saving the church. They both discipled him. But now this time, Paul wanted to disciple this guy. So there's partnership, what we're, like what we're doing as a ministry. The parent the, and Paul ministering, discipling Timothy. Now why? Why would Timothy do that? Why won't he just look for someone experienced? 
Why won't he look for someone who had, you know, had worked so many years of their lives? Why would he get someone young? We're going to be looking at that. Why are we doing campus ministry? And how do we do it? How do we disciple young people? Sino po ba dito meron po kayong teenager na kapatid, insan na nasa bahay nyo, living with you, a teenager, a student, a high school or a college student? Anyone? Alright, think of that person right now. So okay, let's go back. Acts 16, 1-2. What did Paul do? Paul came to Derby, to Lystra. A disciple was their name, Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. The very first thing that Paul had to do was was to see the potential in Timothy or to see the potential in the young people. Why do we need to do that? Here's the thing. Timothy was also the guy Paul talked to when he said, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. The reason why Paul had to say that, it's because it's natural for people to look down on young people. It is. I'm not really blaming you guys. I have a tendency to do that as well. You know, as, as grown-ups, as people from the current or older generation, we always have statements like, Cute kids today. Mga bata ngayon. We always have a notion of, this is how they should grow up. This is what they should do. Um, I'm not, that's not necessarily bad. That's actually a good thing. But it's natural for us because we have more experience. We have gone through life ahead of them, to look at them and say, you don't know anything yet. We have a tendency to look down on young people. And sometimes we would, you know, we would bring that in, in places. Um, sometimes we would look at a gathering of young people, say in a youth service, and say, oh, they're just there to look for a boyfriend or a girlfriend. They're just there to hang out and, you know, waste time. You know, that may be true sometimes, but there maybe is a story behind it. Young people, the reason why they are trying to look for relationships left and right it's because there is a reason behind that. Why they would rather spend time doing this and doing that, there is a reason behind that. And our job as campus missionaries is to go down to their level and to find that out. Why are you like that? We started from there. But we don't look at them and say, that's all you are. I'll show you an example. I have some pictures here. Um... Every time we would look at these pictures, we would have different mindsets of them. Okay, some look dignified, some look like the costume is too is bigger than the body, uh, the hair. Anong gear na yan? <laughs> We would look at people and say, "Oh my gosh, what are you doing?" Um, or some of us would see, "Oh, there's, you know, there's uh, there's future for this guy." We would have different notions on how we perceive young people. These are young people during their time. <laughs> So, you na who are these guys, okay? That's actually Pastor Rain, the one on the far, the one wearing red, okay? Pastor King is the one wearing the toga. Pastor John, Pastor Saul, Pastor Carlo, the husband of uh, Miss Leah, Pastor Francis, and then Pastor Ryan with hair. And sometimes he would look, oh my gosh, that guy, he looks like a drug addict. He may be. That's Pastor Sonny. <laughs> I'm not here to judge. <laughs> okay. And then Pastor Chico, who didn't seem to age. And then Pastor Jonathan, with that almost shaved whatever. <laughs> you see, we know them now on how they look like. We know them by their stature. 
I purposely did not include Pastor Ariel's picture. I may get fired. Uh, but imagine if someone went to them at their age and said, you're not going to amount to anything. Where are they going to be now? Imagine if they were bombarded with words like, you're stupid. You don't know anything. You're not a grown-up yet. Don't make grown-up decisions. But you see, the reason why they have reached their stature now and their calling now is because they started from somewhere and people had to go to them and say, let's, let's walk together. We'll bring you where God wants you to go. Amazing pastors. Pastoring thousands of people here in Alabang. Maybe not just pastors. I've actually included two more pictures. This is uh, Sir R.D. Abelio. Yang Remulia. Influential people of our times now. They're not pastors here in church, but very influential, discipling people and very effective in the corporate world. They started looking like that. So when we see young people, we may have a tendency to say, "Uh, you don't look like you know anything, but I'm not going to let that stay in my head. You look like you're just full of hormones and drama and all you want to do is rebellion and whatever. I'm not going to let that stay in my head. I'm going to look at you. You may be acting out, but there's a story behind it. So we're going to go find out why you're like that. And we're going to disciple you. This is our calling as a campus ministry. We see the potential people. We see a young person and say, I may not know your whole life. I may not know your future, but I know and I believe that God has so much in store for you. And we'll bring you there together. Can't do this alone. They got to where they they are now because people walked with them. People saw the potential first. And what happens? Acts 16, 3-4. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. Okay, just a short comment. The reason why circumcision was mentioned here was because it was a tradition by the religious Jews that every time they would see someone who was uncircumcised, they would automatically judge that person they would auto- automatically say, oh, you're not for, for God. And they have so many notions of that. Paul had to teach Timothy so that he will be above reproach. Basically, that's what discipleship is. When we disciple young people, we, 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 we walk with them. We teach them, oh, you need to do this to be a testimony. You need to honor your parents. You need to go home, actually. Don't spend too much time hanging out. Or maybe this is not yet the time to be in a relationship or whatever. Study first. Be excellent in your school first. This is for the students so that they will be above reproach. This is what Paul was doing to Timothy. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. Basically, what Paul was, start, was doing with Timothy is that he was setting him up for leadership. He did not just see the potential. He was setting him up. For leadership. He was giving him responsibilities. He was giving him, he was treating him like an adult. Because sometimes we do have a tendency like that. And sometimes young people would come to me and they're confused. You know why? Because sometimes they would come into the argument and say, and, and then people older than them would say, Oh, you're too young to join. They'll be thrown out. But then if they have to make a, hard, a tough decision, the same people would say, You're too old for this. Why can't you be an adult? And they're like, You just told me I'm not an adult. (laughs) But for discipleship, we treat them with the same treatment, setting them up for leadership. In fact, this is what we're doing every time we have a youth service. This is not a daycare center for teenagers. 
first of all, we're partnering with parents. But at the same time, the reason why we're gathering young people here is that because afterwards we have victory groups, we're raising up leaders, we're raising up preachers. We have some, of, um, we have some amazing student preachers that you're going to hear next week. Amazing. And when I say amazing, they're well-versed there. They've studied really well. And they, when, when they start talking, they talk with authority and stature at their age. And these people you're going to be hearing for next week, they are raising up leaders. They are discipling their peers. They are discipling their campuses. People who, they, leadership was set up for them, but they are leading now. They're not future leaders. They are leaders now. I'm not going to wait them, I'm not going to wait for them to finish school and then get a good job and maybe, okay, you may, you may start lead, leading now. They start leading now as students. And that's what we do as a youth service. We train them for that. We see the potential. We set you up for leadership. In fact, in the past few years, we've gone through several mission trips. We've mentioned it earlier with Taiwan. Um, but every time I would go out of the country to do missions and to, do, you know, to help out uh, our Every Nation churches, I would always bring students. It's because it's for them. If they're not trusted with these things, then who, you know, how will they learn? We've got students who started learning how to raise up their own funds. From their allowance to, you know, just, just getting connections. Um, we had this 2011 in Vietnam. Those three guys at the bottom picture have graduated already. Passionate people in the workplace. One of them is a DJ now in a, in a, in a radio station. Amazing people. Started reaching out to uh, Vietnamese students back in 2011. 2012, we went to Cambodia again with students. This Cambodia trip was significant for me because this was the first time I saw through a student who reached out to another student, I saw an atheist come to Christ in front of my eyes in a matter of days. That's why I came here. I was so passionate to talk to people and just really make, you know, proving the existence of God. Malaysia 2013, um, this wasn't a 10-day trip. This was um, an invitation. A youth, we ministered to a youth camp. In uh, every nation, Kuala Lumpur, one of the guys, uh, this is the time I discovered one of our guys there was so prophetic. He was, he was ministering to international students because Malaysia has a lot of African and European students as well. And we were ministering to a lot of people there, students doing that. Uh, the same year, Pastor King sent a team to uh, Timor-Leste, a very broken country with passionate people, passionate students reaching out to these people. We're deep in poverty. Last year, we went to Hong Kong, China. We reached out to international students as well. Um, in fact, the connections were so good that one of them, a French national, who we were able to reach out there, is now here in Manila. He considered working here so that he can get connected with us. I'm meeting him tomorrow, actually, just to reconnect and you really find out and be able to plug him into discipleship again. And then this year, we just came from a 10-day trip from Melbourne, Australia. Let me correct that. Melbourne, Australia. <laughs> Melbourne. Amazing time. Um, we've got, uh, if you've seen the picture, I'm the only guy. We were supposed to have guys with us, but, you know, there were issues that they had to face and fix. And in, in fact, one of them didn't receive his visa. Uh, sorry. Um, some stories, though. Maybe the, I'll use this as a report time. Um, the students who were with us, there were four of them, uh, Named Nina and Elise and Abby. Nina is very um, confident. You know, she's very 
she has charm. So she would use it every time we would go around the University of Melbourne. She would uh, randomly talk to someone, introduce herself, and say, hey, I'm from the Philippines. And, you know, another person from our team would come in and start engaging with that person. And we started doing, you know, relational evangelism with a lot of people, just hanging out with them inside the campus, inside the cafeteria. We'll go to a coffee shop and just start talking about life in general before we started preaching the gospel. And it started letting the people open up themselves. In fact, Abby was able to reach out with someone who was, uh, who was a lesbian. And most of the time with Christians, we would see someone from the LGBT and say, oh, you're going to hell. That's not the case. That's really not the case. In fact, when this person started opening up, because she was judged by a lot of Christians, she was surprised with us, with this team, that, especially with Abby. She started opening up. The reason why she chose to be like that is because she was raped and then guy left her went into a relationship with a with a girl and that girl left her for a guy apparently the reason why she's like that is she's looking just to be loved she just want to be loved by someone for people to stop abandoning her that's when we found a way to introduce Jesus Christ and Abby was the one who shared the gospel to her gave her life to Christ in the interview she said I'm not scared anymore. She's now plugged into our discipleship group in uh, Every Nation Melbourne. And they're doing the peace sign. Very prophetic. Did a prophetic thing with, uh, with an agnostic. The agnostic girl couldn't believe why Anne would know these details in her life. But God was telling her these things. And she, was, she started crying to the point that now she's being followed up in, by, by our church. She's plugged in with our spiritual family there with Every Nation Melbourne. And Elise, the youngest one, 16 years old, who went with us, raised up our funds. Amazing worshiper. She would lead worship everywhere we would go, ministering to a lot of people older than her. These people are students. Got reached out by campus ministry, leading now, and literally changing the world. What have we done during our age? You know, back in that age. I, I don't know. Back, you know, during my age, during that time, I don't know what I was doing. I was trying just to figure out life, but I'm in drama. I'm trying to figure out who to court or what to do. But these people are changing the world at their age. In fact, um, Kira, one of our campus missionaries there, the wife of the, uh, the main campus minister there named Ken, she said, there's been a, a swell of involvement by others at church. You've triggered a movement of people. She just sent it this morning. Triggered the movement of people keen to get alongside students. Ken and I have been encouraged. It doesn't feel like we're alone anymore. Thank you. Literally changing the world. With these people from Australia ministering to students have been affected by students from Manila, from Alabang. People that you've sent out to do ministry. That's why we set them up for leadership. We don't look down on them because they're young. If we continue, Acts 16, 4-5 says here, As they went on their way through the cities... They delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So as Paul and Timothy were going around the cities, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Thus, the church were strengthened because of Paul discipling Timothy and letting Timothy do ministry. Discipling him, making him a leader as early as 16 years old. 16 to 18. And it says here, the church were strengthened. And I believe the church is only strong, not because of the facility, not because of the number of volunteers, but a church is strong if the members are strong, if the people there are strong. 
And that would include the young people there. If Timothy can cause strength in church, as young as he is, that's why this is a lifestyle of encouraging young people. This is a lifestyle of strengthening their faith. This is a lifestyle of affirmation, of building them up as a ministry, as campus ministry. This is what we do. In fact, I'm going to be ending with a story with uh, this picture as the music team comes up. Her name's Rena Ramirez, the daughter of Pastor Jonathan Ramirez. Amazing girl, amazing preacher now. But I would remember the, the times that she was starting to just join the, the campus ministry, the youth ministry in, here in Alabang. Very timid, very shy. So we were talking to her and we realized the reason why she's like that. First of all, she has a um, deformity. Okay? Um, she had scoliosis. So growing up, her, her spine was curved. So her shoulders kind of attached to her neck. And she had an open cleft palate that caused her to speak muffled. Um, she had several difficulties as a child growing up, and it caused her as, you know, to, to look a certain way and to speak a certain way, to the point that every time she would go to a school, in fact, this was a Christian school, she would remember telling me this, where parents would tell their kids to not hang out with her because she was different. Kids would bully her in a Christian school. She would grow up in rejection. She would grow up thinking, you know, everything that she's insecure about, people would validate it. Think of the worst things you have probably said to yourself and then someone else validating it. That's her life. People validating how bad she may have looked like as a kid, how bad she sounds like. And she would hear it day after day after day after day. So the moment we met her, she was beaten down. She was tired. She was... She was so shy. She's afraid of getting hurt again. But then she loves writing. She would make write-up blogs. She would talk about certain things. Amazing. Her mind's so amazing. We started encouraging her. You know, she starts speaking. And she's like, me? People don't even understand me. And we start building her up with her parents and campus missionaries just discipling her, encouraging her every day. Weekly, we would meet together. And you just, you know, this is what God can do through you. In fact, there was a year where she sent the most number of people to Victory Weekend. She got an award for that, for the entire church, by the way. And she was still in high school during that time. So every time I would look at her, I don't have any excuse not to do this, not to disciple, not to reach out to campus, not to share the gospel to, to people, because she would do it, even with, the th- with, even with her insecurity, even with the things that she may not have. She was in high school. And then comes college. She actually is one of our most awesome preachers. She, the way she would deliver a word with emotion, the way she would study her manutics, the way she would put in, you know, the, study the Word of God and just deliver it to people. Ah, one of the best in our movement, I would say. Probably because of the things that she went through. So here comes college. And God told her, run for the student council. First year, college. She said, what? God told her to run for um, first year representative. And so she did. She tried. She applied to many parties and all of them rejected her she said you can't nope we got someone better we're sorry maybe next time everyone closed their door to her but god was still saying no you run and she was like i was kind of discouraging her already you know maybe it's not god's plan i was like what a pastor am i but she was sure no god told me so she ran as an independent 
person. So this person with this disability who's not yet who's not popular in school, who got bullied growing up, run as an independent representative. So that would mean that all the part all the people who had part had a party would receive collectively at ten thousand pesos. She would receive one thousand pesos. So you see around her campus banners of all the candidates. She would have this little corner with a small picture of her. But everything changed when she was given the opportunity to speak. She didn't have any campaign manager during that time. But she said, God, you told me to do this. So she stepped inside a classroom. And she started speaking this. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are a freshman. And she started preaching in front of the, in front of the class. And everyone was like, you're telling me to not look down on myself and I'm looking down at you? Baffled so many of her classmates, so many of her, her batchmates. So when election day came, this is what happened. It's a landslide win. The others didn't have anything on her. The first time in history of, their, of her college, an independent won. Amazing story, but it did not end there. God told her to run. She was being set up for leadership. She moved into the calling that God had given her. She, you know, people have discipled her, and she started moving in it. And because of this influence, she started opening up. This is actually the reason why we now have a campus ministry inside San Beda Alabang. Come on, let's give God the best praise for that. She would start bringing her classmates in the youth service, 20, 30 of them discipling people one after another, sharing the gospel. In fact, she would tell me, you know, I'm not sure if they would understand me, but I know the Holy Spirit will make them understand what I'm saying. So bold, so passionate, discipling people, leading people, using her influence. Now, here's the thing. Every time I would look at her and every time I would see who I was when I was growing up, I was a church kid also. My dad's a pastor, but I was so insecure. I was so full of myself, actually. I had so much drama. I think the world hates me, blah, blah, blah. And this girl who has every right to be depressed, every right to tell God, God, you're so unfair, every right to be insecure, is telling me, Edre, do not look down on yourself. What's wrong with you? You know why? I believe she's like that. She had a genuine genuine encounter with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. She had an encounter in the gospel. You know what that means? That when Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid for our sins, that He accepted us in all our infirmities, in all our wrongdoings, in, in all our shame, that she understood it, that when Jesus cried on the cross, that means I was also accepted. And People may have rejected me. People may have said things about me, but God accepts me. God loves me so that I will believe. That what, that's what I'm going to live on. But Jesus Christ did not remain dead. He lived again after three days. He defeated death. That means if Jesus Christ, with the power that He has given us, defeated death, then that means she said, I can defeat my disability. I can defeat my rejection. I can defeat my insecurity. I don't have to let anyone look down on me because I'm this. Imagine, this girl was the potential was shown beyond her looks. She was set up for leadership and her faith is strengthened. And doing that at her age, imagine a country where students are all like that. Imagine a nation where all students are saying, I'm not going to let anyone put me down because I have met Jesus Christ. Imagine a nation 
or that person seated next to you who's a student or that student living in your home when they encounter Jesus Christ when they had that moment and understand God you're so big you're so good you're so amazing the moment they encounter who Jesus Christ is imagine a nation filled with students like that that every time other people would see them they would see God instead that every time people would look at their lives they'd, uh, they'd, they'd go and say what's wrong with you and they would want the same thing imagine a nation who is filled with students who are glorifying God who are honoring God with all their lives who are living in integrity imagine a country you know what happened in this nation why we are suffering what we're, why we're suffering with, with what we have it's because no one discipled the, the next generation during their time we have that opportunity now, ladies and gentlemen. And we're going to change this nation. We are going to change the direction of our country. With these students, with the young people that are about to take this for us. This is why I do what I do. And this is why I'm going to ask you guys, will you rally with us? Will you join us? Will you see that young person at home Look beyond their deficiency. Look beyond their faults. And see, God, what's your plan for this person? How are you going to change this country to this person? And I'm going to build that for that person. Why don't we all stand up? We're going to be worshiping God, but I just want us to just take this time. Lord, what do you want me to do? Maybe for some of you, it's for you to give your life to Jesus Christ. We're going to pray for that later. But for some of you, God might be speaking to you, telling you, something. So let's be here. Let's be ready for the glory of God to happen through what you're about to do, what God has called you to do through the lives of the young people that that He has put in your influence. Why don't we all worship God together? We hope you were inspired by that message. Listen to more podcasts from our website at www.victoryalabang.org and in Victory Alabang app. Thank you and stay connected.